Welcome to Global Real Estate Dealmakers with Kyle Ney, showcasing investors and entrepreneurs across the globe who are leading innovative commercial and residential real estate projects. You will have the chance to go around the world and hear from international visionaries who are shaping their local communities. Having worked at some of the world's largest real estate investment firms, Kyle is excited to have you alongside as he speaks with dealmakers about their backgrounds, current real estate projects, and views on both the opportunities and risks of the local markets. Okay, grab your bag. It's time to board the flight for the next episode. Hey there, global dealmakers. Welcome to the first episode of 2021. Uh, for those of you who have listened before, it's good to have you back. For those who are listening in for the first time, I thank you for joining. I think I speak on behalf of a lot of people I know when I say that, and perhaps some of you, when I say that I'm happy that 2020 is in the rearview mirror. With that said, I think back to a couple of highlights last year. One, I started this podcast in late spring, uh, which has been extraordinarily enjoyable and fulfilling for me <laughs> since that time to welcome an array of guests from all over the globe. And then two, I was able to travel twice thanks to a, a second passport over to Europe and found the environment there when you had summertime and then fall with so few tourists uh, to be extremely unique. And then to observe the COVID environment uh, in each of those geographies across Portugal, Italy, uh, France, uh, Monaco, and Serbia to be just uh, fascinating beyond words. So when I think to the guests that I brought on the show last year, it's really hard for me to say any particular one was better than the other. Uh, I found each person to have an extremely illuminating and insightful and entertaining story. I know that to start out, I am thankful to Erez Cohen, who was the first guest and really got the ball rolling, and his Erbium property group down in Mexico City. Uh, in episode four, uh, Doron Heleva came on the show, and I, I was really intrigued by his welcome business that's redefining the standard of student living in Beersheba, Israel. Uh, then I think to episode nine, when my uh, former boss and still someone who's a, a very much a mentor to me, Richard Pink, came on the show uh, to talk about how he scaled Pink's uh, from the hot dog cart that it was in the late uh, 30s at uh, the corner of Melrose and La Brea here in Los Angeles, and all the while grew to the highest levels of responsibility and seniority at uh, institutional investment managers uh, here in LA, Chicago, and elsewhere. Kofi Asomaning in episode 10 uh, came to talk about his path from coming to Wharton uh, for his MBA and then returning largely to Ghana afterwards after a short stint in Boston uh, to found Keystone Real Estate and to use his architectural background to uh, develop a number of projects across the product type spectrum uh, in and around Accra. And then in episode 12, I was very thankful to Tom Lavelli, who 
I think had one of the most, uh, in my mind, enjoyable and novel stories, how he wound up in Santiago de Chile uh, in pursuit of a Contiki race, but then he ended up not participating in Stain. And years later, he now finds himself as a managing director of Graystar Leading Investments in, uh, in South America and talked about uh, the first institutional multifamily development, four separate sites that he's pursuing right now with Sorella and CPPIB down in uh, Sao Paulo. And then lastly, uh, last but not least, uh, Gloria Gill in episode 15 last December, who spoke about how growing up in Manila, uh, she then moved to uh, the United States in Chicago, where she pursued most of her education, and then went on to have uh, quite the, the growth trajectory in commercial real estate, uh, working with uh, Lacera as well as more recently uh, rising to <clears throat> some of the highest levels at the University of California Regents on their uh, real estate platform. With all this said, I now want to pivot to some themes that I observed last year. Uh, many of these uh, will be familiar to you as you, as you hear them. I compiled them through a number of different articles as well as some reports I read from the likes of JLL and Deloitte. And then after that, I would like to move on to some uh, issues that I'm going to be focused on, or themes rather, for 2021. Uh, and I plan to discuss these uh, to, a, to a large extent with the guests that I bring on the show here in the coming months. Getting into the 2020 themes, depending where you were in the world between late February and mid-March, uh, for me, I know it was March 16th in New York City, the environment as you knew it changed overnight. Uh, for me, and everyone that I knew, suddenly we were working from home without any idea when we would be back at the office. If you were a commercial real estate owner, that meant that any property tours that you had scheduled, whether for tenants or if you had your property on the market and potential buyers were touring, that all went virtual or was canceled, and you had to embrace technology to an extent that you had never done previously. Uh, the changes in behavior that ensued over the following months from everyone uh, caused a lot of havoc on certain sectors, mainly office, retail, and hospitality, while other sectors, such as residential, industrial, healthcare, data centers, they fared uh, relatively well under the circumstances. On the office side, you saw global leasing activity, this is a bit dated, by the end of Q3, be down 46% year over year. Uh, Asia Pacific fared a bit better uh, with activity, Q3 only down 5%. Uh, Europe and the US were down 52 and 55% respectively. Uh, vacancy rates in the office uh, sphere uh, moved up to be just over 12% globally by the end of Q3. And then a subset of office on the co-working and flexible space side, uh, no place came to a more abrupt halt than that did. Uh, and there's many people who think that it will be challenged for quite some time. Uh, I know that Boston Properties came out uh, in the past week uh, and mentioned that they'd written off, I, I believe, $38 million in net income uh, or in rental income, and that caused their NOI for fourth quarter to be down 86% uh, year over year. 
On the retail side, uh, the May through August period was a bit of a respite because restrictions were relaxed in many countries and, and people started to venture out. Uh, but then there was a resurgence in cases as the fall uh, arrived and that retail bounce was somewhat short-lived. Uh, you saw retailers have to pivot essentially on a dime to adapt more omni-channel platforms, enabling people to buy online and then pick up in store or pick up in front of the store with some vehicle drive aisle that enables very easy retrieval. Uh, on the logistics side, uh, e-commerce uh, continued to be an uh, extremely strong driver of, of, of warehouse space globally. Uh, it's led to near record absorption levels in several major markets. Uh, by way of example, in the U.S., you saw uh, e-commerce uh, be responsible for 17% of leasing in Q3 and 40% in the U.K. over that same period. In the hotel space, nowhere had the virus had a more profound effect than in the hospitality industry. Uh, you've seen a pullback in both the leisure and the business sector for travel. Uh, you did see a bit of a rebound in the leisure side in the summer of 2020 uh, as the restrictions were released and some people started to travel more locally to drive to markets or perhaps someplace easily reachable by train uh, in, in certain parts of the world. Uh, but then that reverse course as uh, the fall and winter came and the, the, the weather worsened. Uh, the uncertainty in the hospitality sector has caused valuation, valuations to become much more challenging. Uh, the activity that you've seen in the space has really been more focused in rescue capital, uh, different capital stack positions, and then loan sales, uh, particularly in the Americas. Uh, you've seen fairly limited distressed activity globally uh, because owners have benefited from very generous forbearance periods and you've also seen record levels of government assistance which has essentially uh, continued the extend and pretend mentality. Uh, on the residential side, uh, it has maintained relatively resilient compared to other sectors. Uh, the senior living and student living side a little less so um, with that said, in the U.S. and in Europe, for that matter, you've seen a bit of a bifurcation in rents. The Class A infill, in some cases high-rise product, has really struggled to hold rent and maintain occupancy, uh, whereas the more affordable Class B and sometimes C assets uh, have fared very well um, under the circumstances. Uh, in Asia, the institutional multifamily or for rent space has not been as developed uh, as other parts of the world, except for perhaps Japan that has stayed relatively resilient. Um, unlike the great financial crisis, you saw commercial real estate companies at the onset of the pandemic have quite strong uh, financials. And then you've also seen debt markets you know, since the start remain relatively liquid, absent a short period of inactivity and price discovery. Uh, there are several reasons for this. Uh, you've seen record low interest rates that uh, on the 10-year Treasury, U.S. Treasury has gone from 160 basis points at the beginning of uh, 2020 uh, to down to 54 basis points uh, in early March 
to, I believe, to 110 basis points today as I record this episode. On the LIBOR side, you, see it's, you saw it start at a similar level at 165 basis points uh, at the beginning of 2020 and then declined to 15 basis points by May and has stayed within a couple basis points of that since that time. I think I saw it was 12 basis points when I checked uh, earlier this morning. Uh, you've also, the second thing that's caused the liquidity in debt markets is the government intervention has really helped address a lot of lender concerns. Uh, you've seen uh, $10 trillion of economic stimulus uh, originated within a, a few months of the pandemic. And for some countries, the stimulus as a percent of GDP has been nearly 10 times what it was during the great financial crisis of 2008-2009. Here in the U.S., you had the CARES Act, which was 2.2 trillion U.S. dollars of stimulus uh, that was in March uh, that, that was approved. Uh, and then you saw $900 billion of coronavirus emergency relief uh, put into to, to motion in December, so last month. Uh, I guess technically now two months ago, as I record this in early February. And uh, that has certainly uh, been a, a return of wind to the, the sales of the, uh, you know, the people trying to stay afloat uh, during this very difficult and, and turbulent time. Uh, you've also, lastly, I'll say as a closing note on the uh, lender side, you've seen a, a huge diversification of lender profiles, everything from insurance companies to debt funds. Uh, the lenders have remained somewhat conservative, uh, perhaps requiring more equity to be put in deals or not going as high up in the, um, in the capital stack. Uh, but you, there's certainly the number in the marketplace is in many, many instances astounding, and the, the number quoting new transactions continues to increase, and the, the fact that they're quoting transactions, uh, that has led to debt pricings in some sectors, like industrial and multifamily, to be at pre-COVID levels, um, which uh, is, is, for those owners, uh, comforting to, to see. Moving from the 2020 themes to what I have my eye on for 2021, let me start by saying that the digital transformation of certain properties will evolve. Uh, Internet of Things is likely to be used to assess tenant data points to a much greater extent. That'll help owners better respond to property level issues. Uh, owners can analyze tenant engagement data, to provide a much more tailored experience at their buildings. Companies also have the opportunity to increase the value of spaces by deploying smart building design and offering more relevant services to tenants. Uh, again, owners could use sensor technologies similar to Internet of Things and predictive analytics uh, to better assess the operational readiness of physical spaces and deploy more rigorous cleaning systems. I believe that the tenant spaces will be more valued on the experiential component rather than the traditional per square foot or sales per square foot uh, metrics, and that there'll be much less emphasis on location and more on the health safety component, uh, and that smart building features and occupation density uh, will be big factors in leasing decisions compared to today. The economic recovery is clearly going to be dependent on across the world on the successful distribution of the vaccines. Uh, in many ways, it's worrisome with the recent statistics that I've seen on how few countries 
by the end of 2020, uh, we'll have inocul or by the end of 2021, we'll have inoculated even a third of their population. Uh, with that said, I certainly think that there's the opportunity for, or, or, or the potential for rental collection declines to continue. Uh, here in the U.S., you have an extension of the eviction moratoriums and the residential space. I know here in California, where I'm recording, uh, it was just uh, extended until June. Uh, the I, I mentioned before that the residential side has maintained relatively resilient. Uh, I know I read a Wall Street Journal article with that said that the, the share of the riskiest apartment debt held by banks has risen to 17% from 5% during the pandemic. And that a lot of the lenders and rating agencies have started to reevaluate the residential sector. They've downgraded some bonds attached to rental housing, uh, uh, more particularly in senior housing dorms and co-living. Uh, and some groups have decided that they're going to get into a niche giving struggling apartment owners uh, high interest financing, uh, perhaps in some cases where the owners have some sort of benefit that they've gotten from the government, but not enough to offset uh, the eviction moratoriums or the lack of uh, collections. There will be shifts in tenant and end user preferences. Uh, I know that I read a third of the banking insurance and investment management firms plan to rationalize their uh, commercial real estate footprint. And I think a lot of them are rethinking how office spaces will be used, that the offices will be, and clearly there's differing opinions. Uh, probably every person you talk to has a different opinion, but when I average them all out, it seems like the offices may be used more and more for face-to-face -face interactions, meetings, or team functions. And then the employees can work remotely for perhaps a day, two, even three days a week for more individualized tasks. Uh, I, I read, a, I, I mentioned earlier, Deloitte uh, put out a global millennial survey uh, last year, and they said that 60% of the respondents of millennials wanted the option to work remotely more frequently even after the pandemic. And a lot of them indicated that they would choose video conferencing to traveling for work. Um, so that could pretend a continual decline in hotel and retail uh, as fewer business travelers are on the road. The industrial side, in terms of projections, I think the, the rapid growth of e-commerce will continue. There'll be realignment of supply chains, more onshoring, and increased last mile requirements uh, that will continue to support a very strong demand over the long term. One thing that I've heard of is that there is a need to decarbonize uh, logistics uh, from both the transportation and building perspective, and that need is becoming much more recognized, and I'm hoping that leads to more the adoption of more sustainable practices in, the, in that space. Also, I believe that the rising demand for warehouse space will mean that there'll be greater adoption of technologies like autonomous forklifts uh, and even drones to keep facilities operational with uh, reduced uh, staffing. The lodging and hospitality side, the, the trends there are uncertain as you see the restrictions uh, across the globe ebb and flow, and uh, to a large extent, you know, the work from home arrangements continue. I know most of the tech firms 
the fangs uh, and even beyond that uh, are going to be have arrangements working from home to at least the middle of 2021. And I think the return to office will be largely dependent on the rollout of, uh, of vaccines, as I alluded to earlier, and how effective they are. Uh, you see, uh, as, a, as another thing to pay attention to, that people are over uh, avoiding the more overcrowded cities like at least pre-pandemic, like San Francisco, New York, uh, Toronto, Tokyo, Paris, uh, and opting for other, either other cities that are more secondary cities or more uh, suburban locations. Um, so therefore, the, the near-term valuations on Class A product and infill cities is, is going to remain challenged. And then you'll also see uh, rents, especially on the residential side in these cities, uh, continue to decline, uh, and they're already down in some cases 20, 30 percent here in places like Los Angeles and uh, in, in San Francisco. The last thing I'll mention is that you'll see an adaptation and conversion of spaces for, for new use. That could mean, for example, that shopping centers are moved to mixed-use projects. I, certainly there are zoning and uh, issues uh, along with that if you're trying to take a residential area and make it um, into a mixed-use project or if it had a, a warehouse component uh, or even cold storage. I know that's easier said than done, but I think that more and more parties will continue to explore that. Now that I have the 2020 and 2021 themes uh, covered, I wanted to wrap up the episode by, again, urging those of you who have not subscribed to the podcast uh, to subscribe. I also wanted to mention that I'm going to be putting up a survey on my website at uh, kylenay.com. Again, that's my website where you can subscribe, and then the survey will also be there. And I am going to, in the survey, each month I'll ask a different question, and then uh, the, the ensuing month I'll be uh, revealing the results of that poll. So for this month, uh, to start off 2021, what I am going to ask is, which country globally will have the greatest year-over-year -year increase in transaction volume, that's investment volume across all product types, when you compare all the volume in 2021 to all the volume in 2020. I look forward to your responses. Again, please post that on the survey portion of my website at kylenay.com. And I hope that you'll tune in uh, here soon for my next guest episode, where I will be welcoming Taito Oe from Tokyo, Japan. All right, dealmakers, that's it. I look forward to welcoming you here on the podcast again soon. Thank you for tuning into Global Real Estate Dealmakers, the podcast that takes you around the globe to meet real estate investors who are transforming their local communities. If you want to explore the subject from this episode in greater detail, please head on over to www.globalrealestatedealmakers.com. We certainly hope you enjoyed this episode and welcome your feedback to help us better cater the content to your global real estate interests.